get ready to unleash your inner legal mastermind and embark on an exhilarating legal adventure. Welcome to the Legal Odyssey podcast, where we dive deep into the world of law and bring you face to face with the sharpest legal minds in America. I am thrilled to be your guide on this wild ride as we uncover the hidden secrets of the legal elite. Welcome back to another exhilarating episode of The Legal Odyssey, the podcast that takes you on an electrifying journey through the sharpest legal minds in America. I am your host, Haley, and today we have a guest with us who is about to unveil the secrets that every employee should be aware of when it comes to workman's comp claims. I am very honored to introduce Ben Helfman of Leap, Tesher, Helfman, and Zanzi out of Redding, California. The law firm's also known as LTHZ Law, so you'll definitely hear me refer to it that a couple times in our in our episode. Um, but I'm just so excited to introduce our guest here. So welcome, Ben. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So I want to just kick it off by learning a little bit more about you. So we joined the call today and Ben and I are just getting our, you know, background situated, making sure everything looks great for the call. And I noticed you have the coolest little airplane statue on the back of your desk. And yeah, I don't think I've ever seen an airplane statue, little plaque on the back of an attorney's desk. So I need you to tell me more about this. So uh, my wife is an injured worker, and we were opponents in uh, 1997, had been for five years, when we started dating as a result of socializing at an educational event, four-day educational event. And uh, so, many, so it, months later, she injured herself pretty badly, and she only recently, that was 1998, she only recently settled her workers' comp case. But during that time, uh, I was driving back and forth to uh, the Bay Area from Reading, which is about a four-hour, four-and-a-half-hour drive. And so I was listening to books on tape. And one of the books that I listened to challenged me to list five things I wanted to be, do, or have in the next six months. The book was called The Four-Hour Workweek. And I wrote down Be a Pilot, among other things. And uh, so I, I, I began getting my pilot certificate. And when I got the certificate, my wife said this was the closest I was going to get to owning a plane. <laughs> I've since joined a flying club and I get to fly, but it's cute. It is so cute. And what? So you have multiple expertises, right? You are now a pilot. <laughs> you are obviously an attorney, but you're also a self-taught computer programmer. Tell our audience a little bit about this. So when I graduated from law school, it was a down market. It was uh, 1989. And so in 1990, my first wife and I had two I had two opportunities presented to me, actually. I had interviewed on campus with Cesar Chavez and got an interview, and he offered me a job, $18,000 a year and a double wide to live in. Just a too, too good to pass up opportunity. Or uh, I could move to Lake Arrowhead and live in my stepdad's 500-square-foot uninsulated cabin with my ex-wife and her two kids. We chose Lake Arrowhead. And everything about that idea made sense except the part about moving to Lake Arrowhead and opening my own law practice, which was my stepdad's idea. So months later, I, I apply for a job at the only firm in town. And he says, well, Ben, I have enough money to hire you or a secretary, but not both. I'll buy you a printer. 
So this was 1990. The WordPerfect 5.1 for DOS existed, unlimited 800 support. So I would uh, call them and ask them, I need to write a, a macro that does a cross complaint against a real estate broker, something like that, and how to do all of the details involved in it. So uh, years later, I'm now working in workers' comp. Uh, the firm I was working for advertised, so I had a lot of files, and about a thousand files, and no case management system to manage it all. Uh, the the firm this was 1995, so this is really the edge of the of the internet age. Windows 95 didn't come out to 95, so um, uh, I went out when he said no. To be fair to him, I was probably asking him to spend like $40,000 because it was $1,000 per computer, and he had 26 computers to network. None, none of this was networked. Windows networking wasn't even a thing yet. So I went out and bought myself a copy of uh, um, Microsoft Access 1.0 and a book, on a book on how to program, which my wife promptly made me return because it was $45, and we had diapers to buy. So for years, I would go into Barnes and Noble, and I would read the book and then put it back on the shelf. My wife read travel books, or we'd go to the movies, and I'd go back to Barnes and Noble, and I'd read a couple more chapters. And then eventually, I got successful enough to actually buy the books. But then the internet occurred, and today, I can teach myself all kinds of things about programming. But this, this program allowed me in uh, 2002, how I ended up with Skip, Tesher because I was practicing in San Bernardino. I'd since met my, my wife in, in, uh, in, in San Bernardino. And um, her law school buddy uh, lived in Reading and worked for another workers' compensation attorney who is actually now one of, uh, or actually just, until just recently was one of the WCAB commissioners. So, she, so but when, when uh, this occurred in 2002, she was talking to my wife's law school buddy and said, well, eventually I will retire and you'll need to replace me. Well, through a game of telephone, that got back to me that Marguerite needs to retire and she wants to meet you. So I come up in 2002. She's well, it's very nice to meet you, but I don't have a place for you to sit. I'm not retiring. But every conversation from then on until 2004 ended with, that's a good idea, but someday we may move to Reading. Let's remodel the house. That's a great idea, but someday we may move to Reading. So in 2004, I was driving home and I, I thought, I'm going to say to my wife, do you mind if I call your, all, your old law firm who didn't make you a partner? So that's why I was asking her permission and uh, get an interview. But this was February now of 2004, and there were substantial changes in the workers' compensation system that were going to occur on April 19th, 2004 under Governor Schwarzenegger a complete revamping of the system. And this is really one of those, I'm, I'm a Buddhist, so I believe in being in the right place at the right time. I decided to zig when everyone else zagged. I came in, I interviewed in Reading in February of 2004. Well, naturally, defense firms were skittish on hiring an experienced attorney at that point because they didn't know what the law held. So my, my wife's law school buddy got me a meeting with Skip Tesher. In this room, at that desk, I sat on the other side, and he said, Ben, this is not the resume of someone who works for someone else, which I was doing at the time. He said, this is the resume of someone who opens his own law practice, and there's a, a vacuum in Reading. His, his very good friend and, attor and attorney who rented from him had contracted leukemia and had to retire. So um, 
so he said, uh, I think you can do this. So I jump in my, in my car and, and uh, I drove out 45 minutes into the country where she was visiting with her uh, grandmother who was in her 90s. And um, I come bounding into the living room. And as I'm driving there, I'm thinking, God, Skip thinks I can start my own practice. And, uh, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm practicing Buddhism as I go. I'm chanting nam myoho renge kyo which is what I chant. And uh, I sounded like Thomas the Tank Engine who couldn't for the first uh, three quarters of the ride. But the last 14 miles going down the road where I, I needed to meet my wife, I'm, I'm sitting forward in my chair and I'm grabbing the, I'm grabbing the steering wheel and I'm chanting like with the determination to draw water from parched earth. And I'm thinking, what can I tell my wife I'll give up if she'll let me open my own practice? So uh, I come bounding to the living room and I said, Skip thinks I can open my own practice and I'll, give, I'll sell the BMW and the country club membership if you let me join. She hated the country club that I joined because she hated the food. And um, she said sold. And my phone started ringing because word got out to all the other local churnies that another uh, uh, experienced workers' comp attorney was coming to town. And I started getting calls and I started signing them up. And I had my software I had written on my home computer. And at work, I would get a phone call and I would take a couple minutes out and I would take all the information down. And then at night, I would do all the paperwork myself. I didn't need to hire a secretary after all. And I, I get it out. And I, I signed up 40 people between February and June. Be again, because uh, no one knew what to expect from the new law. Then I, I learned from my mistake when I moved to Lake Arrowhead. Because Yellow Pages was still a thing in 2004. Still a really big thing. When I moved to Lake Arrowhead in 1990, I moved there halfway between the publication of the, of the Yellow Page. Couldn't advertise. No. <laughs> so I did not make that mistake again. I moved to Reading on July 1st, the day the Yellow Page book hit. The things you learned along the way. <laughs> but seriously, that's a small lesson we learned along the way. But it's amazing to hear the huge lessons you learned along the way and how much value you can gain by just exploring the different routes of, you know, well, I know that my expertise is in law, but I also know that I need a secretary or we need this program and it's not here right now. And you found a way to make all of that happen. And I just think that is so inspiring. And, and I mean, it's surely what Skip saw too, right? He's like, this is a special individual. But with all of that being said, I think that, you know, brings us to what, what are the values that have then dri like driven you with your own firm? What values drive you and your staff now day to day? Um, I would say being available to my clients, um, especially with the pan when the pandemic hit, I realized how important email would become. Uh, it's become much more important. It was already important, but email has become even more important since the pandemic. And um, the, the ability to talk to people relatively quickly. One of the things that I have attempted to do throughout my whole career I, I sometimes joke, uh, I'm a thief, because I, I observe what other people are doing right, 
and I copy them. So every attorney I've worked for, everyone who I've respected that I've worked for, uh, I've made them my mentor whether they knew it or not. And um, one of the things that I learned from a lot of the attorneys I work for is the importance of early bird gets the worm. So I, I get into the office every morning or, or if I'm working from home, I return my client's phone calls between seven and eight in the morning. And that was something I saw Skip do for years. And it allowed him to return those phone calls often within one day. And it also allowed me to, you know, a lot of being an attorney, I would, I would, I would analogize it to a duck on the water. So our clients don't necessarily see how furiously our legs are, are, are operating underneath the water. They just see us on top of the water and the emails we send them, the letters we send them and what we say to them over the phone, that's how they can taste the quality of our work. And that aspect of the relationship, however, requires lots of time alone in my office. And then I think the other value that I learned over the years is the importance of education and being a subject matter expert in my field. So I spent a lot of my time actually doing legal research, but I also spent a lot of my time teaching the law. So I'm the president of the local chapter of the California Applicants Attorneys Association, which is the association of attorneys that represent injured workers in California. And I, um, uh, I will give uh, as often as once a month, I'll give a presentation to uh, other attorneys. Um, I also speak regularly at the statewide group of attorneys, um, speaking in January, for instance, on a panel dealing with artificial intelligence, email overload, technological tools, and things like that. Constant adaptation, literally constant. And I mean, not just with the law. You know, we talked a little bit about how there was a huge change in the law in 2004, but it's surrounding your entire practice. It's the law with workers' comp, especially. <laughs> it's not as much with, you know, when you come into personal injury, it's not changing near as often. Um, but then, all of your software as well. Like you said, when you started, Windows 95 was not something you could use as a tool. And now we're talking AI. You've expanded and optimized how to speak and communicate with your consumers that are now pushed into a quicker, you know, digital age. Because of, like you said, the pandemic, we had to figure out how we were going to communicate in a way that people weren't going to be offended in a way that we could reach people and in, in, in a polite way, in ways we never had to before with that pandemic. And to hear the way you have adapted to every step, every change, and just taken it in and found the tools to make it work for you is so inspiring. You know, the other thing I, I, I noticed is... Uh, it's not one tool for every task, right? I don't hammer a nail with a screwdriver. <laughs> so, uh, yes, the, the internet, email, and Zoom, these are all great tools, but I meet all of my clients in person at the initial interview. I meet with them in person for other key events in the case, um, and I prefer to just talk to a person on the phone uh, unless it really can lend itself to email. So. It's, it depends, 
It de- which form of communication? It depends. Oh, it totally does. And ensuring that you're utilizing all of them still, right? Because sure, the pandemic, like we said, put a big curveball in all of the ways we communicate. But that human touch is so important, especially in these really difficult situations that are typically very confusing for your client, right? And there's a lot of explaining, a lot of navigating, a lot of trust even (laughs) that has to go into all of those communications. You know, the the other thing about uh, being an attorney is attorneys are knowledge workers. They are they are workers who need to get things done. Um, so this is another one of the sort of anecdotes of uh, uh, along the way is I, I, I've opened this practice in 2004 and it's been open for a while, a uh, number of years later, and I'm about to go on my first vacation with my wife since the practice opened. And we're in the airport and I'm nervous about leaving the office and everything that I have to get done that still is there at the, at the office. And I see a book in the, in the bookstore at the airport called Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity. So I buy the book, I read it on the airplane, I can't put it down the entire trip. I come back and, I, and what I realize about this book is it's a book about habits. And I, it led me to read a bunch of books about habits and how the, how the brain works and how we, how we manage projects. And that gets back to one of the very first pieces of advice an attorney gave me in that job in Lake Arrowhead. Uh, when, I, when I left, he said, um, the law is attention, grindingly, painstakingly attention to detail. Okay, so this conversation has been absolutely amazing. I think we could go on and on for quite a while here, but I want to dive into just a couple of um, um, tips to bring our audience today. So let's start, try to start simple. (laughs) What are or are there any really common mistakes that you see employees make when it comes to reporting the workplace injuries um, and going on to filing? Delaying not reporting it. So it's really important to report the injury the day it happens or as soon after as possible. If I arrive at work healthy and I've injured myself while there, where else could it have occurred? So I avoid a lot of headache if I'm the injured worker, if I filed the claim the same day or as soon as possible. So one of the reasons I see insurance companies deny a claim or delay and investigate the claim is I hurt myself today, but I wait three months to report the injury. It's not impossible to proceed with that claim, but if I have a choice, I'd rather report it timely. That makes so much sense. And when you feel like you do need to move forward with reporting a claim, is that something you need an attorney to do? No. So much of the workers' compensation system is designed to be able to be done without an attorney. It's not nearly as complex as, say, handling my own bankruptcy or handling my own divorce or suing my neighbor for uh, where their fence is. Uh, All of those types of litigation are occurring in superior court, and the rules and the navigation of that system is not necessarily designed for the layperson. But workers, workmen, uh, workers' compensation, an interesting uh, uh, tidbit, it's not workmen's compensation, it's workers' compensation. <laughs> I make that mistake often. 
So one of the things that I say to someone during an initial interview is I, I, I want to give you the pros and cons of hiring an attorney. And so one of the questions I ask is anything being denied? Are you getting your, there's four basic benefits in a workers' comp case. There's money to paid temporarily while recovering from the injury, a different kind of money that's paid for either a short period of time or even permanently after that, medical care, and some help in getting back to work if you don't go back to work. Um, when I'm at the initial time I'm talking with someone uh, on the phone usually, if they are getting their benefits and they're not denying authorization, the workers' comp insurance company is denying authorization for the things that the doctors are recommending, then I say, you, have, you may not need to hire me right now. The other thing is that there's a difference in the rules that the unrepresented injured worker will follow versus that I have to follow when obtaining what's called a qualified medical examiner. So this is a critical juncture in the case where either the injured worker or more often the insurance adjuster has objected to the opinion of the treating physician. And if they don't have an attorney when that letter comes in, they have 10 days from the date at the top of that letter, plus five days for mail, to, or five to 10 days for mail, to choose the specialty of the doctor that they want to see. And there can be considerations where they would not necessarily pick the same specialty every time. It might be that it's a back injury, but they decide not to pick orthopedic surgery and they pick something else that would also make sense like pain medicine, physical medicine, rehabilitation, chiropractic. They get to choose the specialty if they act within that 10-day window. In addition, when they fill that form out and they file it with the Workers' Compensation Appeals Board. What they get back in, in the next few days is a list of the names, addresses, and a short biopic on, on three doctors in that specialty. They get to pick the doctor if they act within the first 10 days. If I'm the attorney, then I have to, when I get that list of three doctors, I have to cross out one of the names and the insurance adjuster or defense attorney has to cross out one of the names and the third person becomes the doctor. It's important, however, to consult with an attorney before you go through that process, even for an, a free consultation. I give a lot of free consultations out where I'll just advise them about how to do that process and what the pitfalls are, even if they're not hiring me. Um, and that can often make the difference between a doctor who would be evaluating them, who is giving them an accurate evaluation rather than an overly um, strict evaluation. It's technically correct, but they're not exercising any discretion. And doctors have no discretion. The amount of background and experience that an attorney could bring to that situation because I mean again as a consumer or fellow employee if, if I was in that kind of situation and I had received that letter the list of doctors it wouldn't even cross my mind that like there's different and maybe not intentions but different ways that different doctors are going to write their the outcome and what what's happening. And so to have someone by your side that has experience with the different doctors and has worked with them because 
likely you haven't, <laughs> is going to be very impactful, like you said, in that situation. I want to ask, <laughs> it's a very loaded question, but if you had to give one major piece of advice for people that do find themselves seriously injured at work, especially in Redding, California, what would that piece of advice be? Outside of reporting as soon as possible. Um, read everything they receive in the mail. Um, I've, I've had potential clients come to me and they've allowed deadlines to pass by by not just reading what the letters they receive say. And if you're at all confused, you can either contact an attorney. Uh, I would look for someone who's a certified specialist in workers' compensation. I'm a certified specialist. That means I passed a second bar exam specifically on workers' comp. And then I recertify every number of years that they require me to every five years. I have to take a bunch of extra uh, specialized educational classes specifically on workers' comp. So a certified specialist and or someone who um, does, does workers' comp regularly. So that's the type of person you would be looking for. And then every workers' compensation appeals board also has a person that works for the board called an information and assistance officer. And this is a person familiar with workers' comp, often not an attorney, maybe a former insurance adjuster, who is there to provide information and assistance to injured workers, such as how to fill out a form, uh, what the mileage rates are to go to and from their doctor, any kinds of questions like that. And sometimes that's all the person needs. I will sometimes refer people to the information and assistance officer uh, if the if I'm not going to be taking their case and I want them to have the ability to get unstuck if they get stuck in the system. That is such an important piece of advice to share it with our audience. Thank you so much. And Thank you for everything you've shared today. This has been such an incredible journey we have been on. I wish we could talk for hours. <laughs> it's been great diving into, you know, what led you to be so passionate and just really be so innovative with your practice constantly in general. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you to our audience as well for joining us today. Um, remember that this podcast is not legal advice, but it is empowering you with knowledge to give you the tools to help you make informed decisions throughout the twists and turns of life. As always, stay curious, stay informed, and stay empowered. Until next time, keep your minds sharp and remember that knowledge can be a powerful toll on your life's journey.